Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. The purpose for generational survivors is to and I wanted this to be a global platform is to bring uh awareness to other survivors exactly. that are generational survivors. Exactly. And and also give and provide resources as well as lobbying for change and hmm. hmm. the laws pertaining to domestic violence, child molestation, sexual assault. That is so vital yep. because so many, the some of the laws, when you read them, they're so off and it's like these, these perpetrators are just continuously doing these things and getting away with them because the penalties are not stiff enough. Penalties are not, are not there. And also the other thing that I actually like while talking to people like you on the show before, what I understood is like, there are a lot of gaps in even understanding what has gone through. For example, when you mentioned it to a police officer that this is what happened, and your mother mother denied it right then and there. So how are they going to proceed just by hearing their uh, a small kids' voices? Right. You, you have to look at it in a perspective like, yes, the child is not going to make up the complete story. If you are asking them the details, they can't make up the details because they don't know what is happening. Exactly. But if you are able to give that level of detail, they have there has to be some truth towards it if you can't really fight for it at least let someone else help for through that situation exactly you being a law enforcement officer i'm sorry you being a law enforcement officer have you ever seen anybody with this kind of a situation coming to you for the for helping them so i've dealt with some domestic violence cases but I've really never encountered anything, anything much like mine, where, where the mother didn't believe the child, but I really didn't interact with too many child molestation cases either. Mm. Because with a police officer, and this is where I feel like things need to change um, within law enforcement. Because as a police officer, we dealt with the surface. Yep. We dealt with the victim. We dealt with the perpetrator. The, if they were children in there, we didn't question the children. You know, we didn't know what was going on in the home per se, outside of the abuse that the victim was sharing with us. Mm. And we wouldn't, we didn't ask about the children really. We we were concentrating on the victim, mm. the perpetrator. So you know, we were like this. Yeah. So oftentimes the children get left out and that shouldn't be immediately when there's a domestic violence case. And I think some things have changed now. I want to say some things that have changed where they're sending people in to investigate. I want to say, I don't know all the protocol now because I've been out of law enforcement for a while, but I know that they focus on the survivor or the victim at that point, the victim and the perpetrator. Mm. Now, what I do when women reach out to me and they say, I want to get out, I, I need to get my, my children and my family, my, my family out of there. Mm. One of the questions I ask is, is he hurting the children as well? Mm. Is he hurting them? Do you know if he's hurting them? You know, I mean, he's hurting them because he's hurting them mentally, physically. Is he touching them? Is he abusing them as well on a physical level? Because on a mental level, it's so that the hurt is already done. The harm is already done. And and I think that sometimes we take that for for granted. So true. Because you're not seeing it outside. You don't know the level of uh, the trauma that is actually creating inside. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And, and the reason why I say that is because even after, and this was now, this was in my case, um, because my mother, I don't know if my mother didn't 
want to recognize that there was a problem. So she never, I never received therapy. Um, immediately um, after that, I think it was like a month later when my dad was able to come and pack me up and take me um, during that time frame that I was in the house, she really didn't speak to me. Um, my dad came, got me. But even, even in my dad's home, I didn't receive therapy. He didn't, I don't know if there's something, and this is something that the African-American culture, like they really don't believe in therapists. A lot of African-American families even Indian culture don't believe in therapy or like counseling or any of that. Mental health is not an issue at all. There is a joke that runs around in social media for Indian culture saying like, if you go and tell your parents, mom or dad, I'm going through something like this, I need help. The answer would be like, it's a meme, it's a joke that they right. covered it. The answer would be like, go drink some water and pray. That, exactly. that is where we are because mental health is not a thing at all. Things like that need to change. And that's another reason for generational survivors because we have to continue to talk about these, these things that are not commonly discussed. Yep. Child molestation is not sexy. Domestic violence is not sexy. It's not a sexy topic. Nobody wants to touch it. They're, they're doing a little more with domestic violence. But when, you, when it comes to child molestation, you rarely hear about it at all. You don't hear about it. A lot of people talking about it, but the statistics, if you look at like one out of five girl children, no, four girl children, four. Mm -hmm. and one out of five boys. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stats are like so high, but nobody wants to even do anything about it. No, no, nobody wants to touch that topic. And... Until conversation is had, until we are going are ongoing with it, and we're looking at what avenues we need to take yep. to really rectify the situation, this situation is always going to be an epidemic because yep. I feel like it's that's an epidemic within itself. Yep. So for me, I fight for just cause. Yep. I fight for the survivors, for the ones who are still being victimized, for the children who don't have voices. Yep. That's who I fight for because the child is left without a voice yep. in many cases. And in many cases, it becomes too late. Yes, yes it is. And that has to end. That must stop now. How many children are really like standing up for themselves, even at a later life in their whole life? Like they can't really come out and say like after 30 years, they can't come out and say like, yeah, something happened to me long back, but they still struggle with those things inside. I'm going to tell you something. So I've had so many people say to me, why, what, why it's so many women who've been molested, who've been raped. You're not the only one. I never said I was the only one. Exactly. So why, why, why is your, your, this so important to you? Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it might you know be one among 10, but for me, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. So why wouldn't it be important to me? Oh, some pe people just move on and forget about it. Yep. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, fa that's fiction. People don't move on and forget about it. Exactly. They move on and they try to bury it yep. so that they can move on, but it's still there because yep. they haven't dealt with it. So don't be offended by what I'm doing because I'm dealing with minds in, in, a, in an outward way. Yep. A part of my healing process, Smith, Smith was coming out and sharing my story. Absolutely agree with that. Yes. That's a part of the healing process. That's a part of the journey that most of us have to 
get on to really begin to heal. If I'm not, if I'm unable to share my testimony, if I'm unable to share my story, then I'm still being held in change and chains and bondage. And I'm not going to be held in hostage to my pain. Yep. As you mentioned, yes, definitely it's not a sexy topic, but again, if you don't want to share out with everybody around the world, but yeah, fine, share it with at least one person or go for a therapy, get some help, take that step, whatever is going to help you to come out of that. Right, you don't have to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Everyone, you know, I'm, I'm me. You know, you may handle yours in a different way, but you still need to get help. Mentally, you have been traumatized and the mental abuse is longer than the physical abuse. Because see, with the physical abuse, maybe you can heal from it. Prayerfully, you did not get maimed in the situation and lose a body part. So mentally, it stays with you. Yep. Unless you start to deal with it. 100%. 100%. You know, it's so much that needs to be done when it comes to domestic abuse, child molestation, sexual assault. It's so much that needs to be done. Yep. I don't think there's enough advocates. You know, I was told that, the, oh, there's so many of y'all doing the same thing. You got me too. You got this. It's not, it's just not enough. So What? If there's a me too, so what if they have all these different advocacy agencies, there's still not enough of us advocating for change in policy, having the discussions, having the unwanted talk. We, We have a long journey ahead of us. We really do. The, 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 my mission has become clear to me. And as your mission has become clear to you. Yep. And, and I think that when, and this is not only for survivors of this, this, this is for people who this has never even impacted. I, I can tell you that I, um, I talked to um, a woman who, she, when she heard my story, she said, I've never heard of such a thing. I can't, she says, I don't know anyone who's going through what you went through. She said, I can't even fathom. She said, I can't even relate. So she wanted me to discuss, like, she, like, it bothered her so much about my mother not believing me the molestation like you know she she knows about domestic violence obviously but she she said to me she said I don't know anyone who's been through this I said you think you don't know anyone who's been through it I said it could be someone in your circle right now that is going through it and it may not even be physical it may just be mental it may just be mental And I said, you would be surprised. Domestic violence knows no race. It knows no finances. It it doesn't care if you're poor. It doesn't care if you're rich, wealthy. Doesn't care what's, if you're black, white, Asian, Indian. Yep. Right? Yep. It does not matter because it affects us all. And even the ones that it hasn't happened to, and this is what I said on a panel that I was on, even the ones that it hasn't happened to, it affects them. Because when you're dealing with domestic abuse and you're dealing with children growing up in a domestic, an abusive household, and those children grow up to be adults, those children are growing up with mental and physical health issues. Yep. And it's called ACEs, yep. Adverse Childhood Experiences, where they have an indicator 
And they ask these questions. A lot of mental health professionals now have really done, I, I applaud it. And if you don't know who she is, Nadine Burke, Dr. Nadine Burke mm-hmm. Harris, please look her up. She, um, she really owned into the research of ACEs and was able to really have, a, have, she really changed how they look at dealing with trauma from a child's perspective and how identifying that trauma with some of the mental and physical health issues exactly. so. that we're experiencing. Because I know for myself, I have a lot of health issues on a mental and physical level that I'm dealing with. And I know for a fact that a lot of that was not gene related, but a lot of those issues are because of the trauma that I've suffered. Yep. Yep. And there, so if you think that just because you weren't involved in a domesticated situation where it became violent, abusive, that it doesn't involve you, you're wrong because healthcare costs are being driven upward because of the amount of trauma that a child is has impacted on them as a child turning into an adult with all these healthcare issues. Yep. So what do you think that does? That drives up healthcare costs. It's interesting when you mentioned about ACE, I, I told you like, I have few people that were on the show who was talking, who were talking about child sexual abuse topic. Mm-hmm. And one of the ladies actually working on this, I, I mentioned her to you, Mary Beth, and she, she spoke about ACEs on a full episode. Oh, so he, I would love he, to hear her. Oh, I would love to he hear her. a lot of information. She's, she's a mother of two children who have gone through this. So wow. I got about this information from her from a perspective of being a parent, right. not knowing when it is happening, not being able to identify when it was happening. Mm-hmm. After the fact, when the child was explaining that, how, how far she went to help her kids, what changes she, were able, she was able to like give or get from the people around right. that she was able to. That's why like when I'm talking to you, I, if you could explain a little more from law enforcement perspective about this subject specifically, like about child molestation or sexual abuse, what are the gaps or like what are the things that you might have seen? Because as I mentioned, I got the information from a parent's parent perspective from her. There is another person by name Kevin Barhead. He is a, uh, he is in the education department. So I got the information from him for what are the gaps in the education department that she has he found because he he was a survivor himself. So oh, when wow. we started talking about his story, being in education department, right. I don't understand the gaps from that perspective. And you being here today, and there is another woman uh, who was uh, sharing that she runs an NGO, I believe, mm-hmm. and she's run, running like 24-7 uh, call services for the wow. people who are victims. So I was like, yeah, getting her perspectives are like her support, her help that she can do. She's also a survivor again. So yeah, you being into the same place, if you can give a little more light onto the same subject from your perspective working in law enforcement. Yeah. So what I will tell you is when I was a law enforcement officer, um, dealing with the, the domestic violence cases, I saw that a lot of our male officers especially really didn't take it seriously when we arrived on scene and um, it was a domesticated uh, situation um they some of them just really didn't have the heart to deal with it Mm. um so i think in looking at some of the males that i saw dealing with the situation first of all i feel like there's there should be more education there in law enforcement i think police officers matter of fact i know law enforcement officers need to become more educated and they do have trainings now, but when I say educated, I feel as though law enforcement officers should all have a degree. Mm. That's number one. Mm. And a, a degree in dealing with, especially when you're talking about psychology of the mind, different things like that, 
they should have some sort of requirements or credentials based on the social structure of domestic abuse, Hmm. child molestation. Hmm. They should have some, they should be mandated to have certain certifications and certain issues that you're consistently going to run into because that only sharpens your skills and the language that you use. See, people don't understand. Yes. It's very important that they have the language and the tools to go into that situation knowing, first of all, what to identify when you go into a home, because when you go into a home and you're 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 trying to break up a situation that's going on, you also have to have a keen eye mm. to see outside of what's in front of you. Yep. So you have to know, you have to be able to look at a child and 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 and, and see something. You understand? You have to look, you, you have to be able to look outside of exactly what's in front of you. And you also need to know what language to use because some officers don't know how to talk to, at that time, the victim. Yeah, yeah. And even for that case, the perpetrator. Yeah. So I really believe that there should be more, uh, more education geared towards domestic abuse, sexual assault, rape, Mm. domestic violence. Mm. Um, law enforcement officers are the first on scene. Yes. They can make the difference. That's the reason why they need to know the language to speak Yep. to a victim going through mm. and even the language to speak to the perpetrator. And that's where I see that there's a, 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 a gap. Mm. Some officers know and they know how to go into the situation. And some officers are clueless. Mm -hmm. That makes a world of difference. You can't afford to lose anyone. Your job is to save lives. And I'm not saying you're not gonna lose, but if you are to lose, don't let it be because you weren't knowledgeable and you didn't have the tools to really go into that situation and know what you're supposed to do. Yep. And I think a lot of officers take it as a joke is, oh, we respond to this house all the time. Mm-hmm. She's not gonna press charges. So it's just a waste of our time. So when you start thinking like that, when you get that mentality, yeah. Yeah. that changes the dynamics because it changes how you go into the situation. And what language you use and how you care for the situation. It changes how you see the situation. Mm-hmm. And, they, I, and, and, and understand me, there have been several times where I have been frustrated because we have gone to court and the victim does not show up, you know, and, and, and the lawyer's like, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, we have no case. But you have to also understand that woman's psyche. I told you what my mother did. Yep. She called him and told him where we were. Yep. And at the time I was a child, I didn't understand. But as an adult and doing my research and going through, I understand. Yep. So I think law enforcement needs to, like I said, they need to become more certified in those vital areas, they should be required to have, each officer should be required to have a certification in those areas. Each officer, it should be mandated. Not just a little, not when we going through the academy, because I went through the academy and they did a little week session on it or what have you, no. We need to have certifications in those vital areas. Hmm. And I think it's, it, it, it starts there. And it also, and, and, and also uh, uh, you know, dealing with the, the woman, the men needs, a lot of men need the sensitivity training. <laughs> yeah. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because 
you can cause the victim to shut down just by, again, the language that you're using yep. and how you go into the situation. Yep. So that's how I feel like uh, law enforcement is kind of failing in that area. And there is something that they can do about it. You know, we, we have to restructure how law enforcement is uh, being trained, number one. First of all, we're not trained long enough, to me. You're going out there to, you're, first of all, you, you have to use a gun. You have to protect and serve. So you have weapons. Hmm. And a couple of uh, weeks in the academy is just not enough. I was like three months, three hmm. to four months or something like that, I think we did. And it's just not enough. It's not enough training there. Not enough to have you go out, especially, um, I think the, 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 the youngest age is like 19 that you can become a 19, 20, that you become a, a, a police officer in some states. Oh, okay. That's too young. Yep. You don't know enough to go into a situation to handle a domestic violence or any case for that matter. Yep, yep. That's just way too young. You're not even matured enough. Yep. You're still growing. Right, you're still becoming. And, you know, I had someone say, well, if they're young enough to serve in the military, then they're young enough to serve as a law enforcement officer. I don't believe that they should go into the military that young. Yep. To be honest with you, I think it's too young. They're not ready. They're not matured enough. But again, we're, we're dealing with government now, economics, social economics. So mm-hmm. all of that boils down to capitalism, money. I have a question, uh, not about this topic, the, about the previous one when I was asking about uh, the law enforcement help. When you are, you, let's say for example, you got into a domestic violence case or like a child abuse case, Apart from actually trying to collect the evidence and trying to talk to the victim or the perpetrator, for example, mm-hmm. is there any other help or services that you actually offer to those people? So I know in my department, we had uh, we had several resources that we can pull from. Mm-hmm. And we had we were a smaller, I started at an NYPD, but I ended up retiring from Williamsburg. And NYPD, I was a school safety officer on task force, and I dealt with a lot of children there too. Mm-hmm. But with Williamsburg, um, we were a smaller police department in, in Virginia. And uh, we did have some resources that we could give now. Here's, here's the kicker to everyone tell the victim about the resources hmm. probably not that's what that's why i asked that question i don't think everybody anybody is talking okay. about the resources available outside to get help but you don't have again knowing the language is so important because yep. the language requires you to know what resources are available and to share those resources with those victims so that they can get the proper help that they need. And see, somebody will look at this later on and say, oh, we give out resources. No, you don't. No, you don't. 85% of police departments, I'm throwing a number out there. I'm just gonna say 85%, they're not giving out resources. Half the time, people, the, the police officer doesn't even wanna deal with the paperwork. Hmm. And I'm just being serious. You have very few police officers who are doing their jobs correctly. Let's, let's come on, let's look at it. Very few that are really, a law enforcement officer does not get paid much money. Hmm. So you either love this job because you love this job and you got into this position because you really want to help to save lives. You really love the people you want to, make sure that the communities are, are living well and, 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 and healthy, mm. or you got into this job because this is the job that you got into. Mm. And, and, and then you see, you can tell the difference in, yeah. the, in the officer. You can tell who really is invested in that job. And you could tell the ones who are just in the job just to be there for a paycheck. Perfect, yeah. 
you know? So yeah, no, they're not always giving out resources, Mitha. Mm. They're not. Mm. And that is, that's another breakdown in the system. That's another breakdown in the system. You don't have to separately give out the information. At least do you accept if someone else is actually, let's say, for example, the other lady that I was, Jolene Beckers, she is connected with the law enforcement team in her place. And she is putting herself out saying like, I can give these kind of help. So if somebody is there with you, just pass on my number, I'll like connect them with me so that I can carry out with them. I can be there with them until they say like, I don't need anybody's help. I'm fine right now. Right. So do you guys even accept that kind of a thing? And how far do you accept? I, I don't see every police department has their policies. I would tell you something about, uh, I will share with you Newport News Police Department. They really shocked me. I love what they did. They got together and they formed, they, they received a grant. They took that grant money and they formed a civilian um, domestic violence task force. Wow. I thought that was phenomenal. And wow. the reason why is because you have civilians survivors yes who some of them some have the, the education the background some are just they went through yes. it and they are advocates for it so mm. they are very knowledgeable mm. but they have a task force geared especially for domestic violence and i thought that was phenomenal i think that every police department should have a civilian task force to deal with that so like you go on a, you go, you, uh, a police, for instance, a police officer arrives on scene. They, uh, they've been called to a domestic violence, uh, a call. They arrive on scene. They, they get the people separated. You know, now they have to take them in. The domestic violence task force should be there waiting for them. Someone from the task force should be there waiting for them so that they can speak to, especially the victim. You see what I'm saying? It's interesting when you're mentioning like your civilian uh, people helping other people because they are survivors themselves. Even if somebody is talking to me right now, I can easily understand whether they're really telling the truth mm -hmm. or whether they just wanted to like project themselves in a different way, wanted to get that attention or whatever. And then right. I, I have heard people like that. And some people will be like straight off coming out when they talk about like, yeah, they don't want to stay in their marriage and they are going through a lot of things, blah, blah, blah. There won't be any scenario they can pinpoint and say like, yeah, this is what my pain point is, but they'll be going on and on and on saying like, I don't like it. This is what happening, the blah, blah, blah. But end of the conversation somewhere, you will definitely understand you being a survivor, like I being a survivor, mm -hmm. you will understand what is their motive behind their talk? Right. Whether right. it's attention, whether it is, I have heard a couple of girls, I don't want to say the names, but they were talking to me on and on. Like I might have spoke like five, six times with them each time more than an hour or so. On every, on the first conversation itself, I know she's not telling the whole truth. Mm. Second conversation, I know she's not actually needing my help in what I wanted to help with or she don't want to come out of that marriage because she's not able to survive it's it's nothing by end of that fourth or fifth call i believe like i was able to understand completely what she wanted is she wanted to break that marriage and wanted to get the financial support for her mm -hmm. because the husband was very well off she wanted to get that part of amount for her she wanted to live her life happy wow but she made up so much of a story behind the scenes to get to that point where she need a legal advice or a help, how I can help her giving a suggestion like how she can, she'll be able to get that money from her. I'm wow. like, I am no gold digger. So yeah, please, that's not my area. That's not my topic. Right. If I really need help. I can try to help her. If I'm not helping, I can at least hear you out. I'm fine with that. Right. But I'm not here. So when you're mentioning like, yeah, civilian who are real survivors, we being survivors, I think most of us will have that instinct to identify an actual person who is actually hurting behind the scenes. I just wanted that attention or like, yeah, wanted to grab everybody and just keep talking about it. Somebody want like, they want to be famous for no reason. 
Right. Exactly. Story and keep talking about it, copy talking about it. If you really like get to your point, like I want a specific scenario that you can explain. We are like, what is that specific pain point that you are looking? There won't be any matter that you are actually like, yeah, listening. Exactly. I, I I'm I'm going to talk a little bit now about my transformation mm-hmm. and how I got to this part of, of this portion of my life. It was no easy journey for me. Um, yes. The transformation was, I think, the hardest part of my journey because I was so broken and I didn't even realize it. Even as a police officer, I was really broken, Smitha. Mm-hmm. Really broken. And I did not know. Here I thought that, yeah, I'm in this position, I'm saving lives, go, go, go. But when I started getting therapy, my therapist was able to transcend to me and, 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 and just let me know, like, you are on a high when yeah. you're in this position. And she said, that's borderline bipolarism. Wow. Right. So she revealed wow. that to me, that I was on the spectrum. Mm. And that is the reason why I chose such a flighty job. Because when I'm on a high, I'm on a high. Mm. But when I hit a low, I hit a low. Mm. And I needed a lot of, I, first of all, I couldn't understand. I'm like, so you're telling me I'm sick? What, am I crazy? You know what? I, you, you, yeah, but, you know, because as a law enforcement officer, yeah. you don't want that stigma. Yeah. You, we're carrying a gun. So when the therapist revealed to me that I was on the spectrum and, and stated that we have to address this issue, immediately I thought, I can't let my job know. They're going to terminate me. Yeah, yeah. So now here's another issue I'm dealing with. I'm a woman in law enforcement um, with this stigma, this mental illness. Um, mm. How do you deal with that? Hmm. how how am I going to be effective at my my job how effective am I going to be so now I'm dealing with the trauma I'm dealing with trying to figure out who I am because now you've 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 thrown something else my way and I'm a parent I'm a mother and I'm like am I going to be able to parent my children yep and then within all of that, I, f- I finally did get married to my husband now. Um, I was told uh, years ago prior to him that I would never be a wife. I would always be a side piece. Why is that? Because the person, to you. the person that I was dealing with was broken. So broke and hurt people hurt people. And he wanted to hurt me. So he knew he couldn't hurt me physically, Hmm. but mentally he knew that I was already a broken person. So Hmm. he would say little things that would really tear me up on the inside. That keeps breaking those, yeah. Right. So a part of my transformation, and this is something that I had to learn, I had to heal from within Hmm. and I really had to accept all of me. And Smith, that was very hard for me to do because I saw so much fault in myself. I carried guilt. I carried shame. I was ashamed of the things that happened to me. And then after being told about the mental illness, I was more ashamed. How are people going to perceive me? How are they going to look at me? Are people going to respect me? Are they gonna take me seriously? All of these things ran through my mind and I had to lay everything down and I had to see me outside of me, if that makes any sense. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I had to see me outside of me. And when I did that, and I can truly look at myself, I mean, one day, I'm going to tell you, it was something that I did. One day, I got up, and I went to the bathroom. 
And I remember looking in the mirror and just staring at myself. And I was just staring and looking. And it, it was as though I was trying to see through that person in the mirror because I didn't recognize myself. Mm. I didn't. I was totally like oblivious to who she was. Mm. And I asked God, who am I? And then I asked the person in the mirror, who are you? And I burst out crying. I mean, I, I, I mean, I had, I cried and I bawled like a baby. I get that. Hmm. I cried from the inside out. Yep. The pain was so deeply held within me. I didn't realize how hurt and broken I was. And I bawled and I just kept shouting, who are you? And I was saying it out loud, who are you? And I just, it, it was like, I was trying to make myself hear myself. Yep. And it was the weirdest thing for me, but it was also a revelation. Because mm. after I did that, and it, it seemed like everything that was yucky started to, it was like I was regurgitating it. It was, it was coming out. And I needed the release. And after I calmed down, after shouting at myself, and then I calmed down and I just stood there and I looked at my, I looked, I was looking in my eyes and I asked God, I said, Lord, I, I need you. Mm. I left you. You never left me. I realized that. Mm. And something in me opened up like an airway. It was as though my diaphragm expanded and I, I could breathe again. It's like that I needed that release and now you can breathe. Be who you are. Those are the words that I heard. I don't know if it was a subconscious thing. I don't know. Yep. But I heard be who you are. Hmm. And even with that being said, Smitha, I still had a long road to recovery. Of course, it's it's definitely it'll never be like an overnight change. Or like the minute you felt that coming out, it doesn't matter. Like it will take one day. No, it it will take time to heal. It, it's a process. It is a process. And the one thing I, I don't I don't like is when people say, "Oh my gosh, just get over it." Get over it already. That too. Another, Get over. another dialogue that I have I have heard many times in, in my life, at least, like if you talk about just talk about only abuse on a sexual level abuse, mm -hmm. whether it being like a child, childhood abuse, or like even in your teens, or like even after that, or even at this age. One common dialogue that I always hear from people like, if you are not doing anything, why would they come and do all these things to you. I'm like, okay, if you are talking to me as a person now in this age, okay, I understand if yeah. I'm attracting somebody with my way of behavior, talk or whatever, I get it. But when you're talking to me as when I'm expressing like, yes, I have this discomfort or like I have this pain, I have gone through this trauma. Mm -hmm. Are you telling me being an eight year old kid are like seven year old kid that I'm attracting like a 55 year old man to come and do this to me? No, sick. But I don't understand why that dialogue comes in. If you're not doing anything, they won't do anything to you. I'm like, okay, I, I really don't know how to answer that. Have you ever been into that kind of a situation? I, I would tell you after speaking to many women, what I realized is people don't know what to say to a, a, a trauma survivor, a survivor of domestic abuse, sexual assault, where they really don't know what to say out of their mouths. And I take that back to 
the language that we need to use. Exactly, exactly. It's not even about the trauma or like, see, for, even for example, I don't have any trauma, but today right. I'm coming to you like, okay, somebody at my office is like behind my ass, sorry for my language. But yeah, somebody is just like, yeah, doing all this nonsense right next to me and I'm having this discomfort to go to office. I'm like, I might need to go to HR to complain on them about like, yeah, they're doing this to me. If I can't really go there, I have to prepare to go there. It's just not like, yeah, they're coming to me and then I'm running away. Right. I have a lot of other constraints. I might have a lot of other constraints, but as a friend or like as another person, if I'm sharing that with you, like, hey, I have this discomfort with this guy. This guy is always like coming and talking to me and mm -hmm. all this nonsense kind of a talk. I don't know what to do. The immediate jump on would be like, oh, if you're not doing anything to him or like if you are not purposefully attracting him, why is he coming to you? Should I say like, because he's an ass? Exactly. Because see, a, a lot of people in the HR position do not, they lack the training and the knowledge and skills on how to deal with situations like that. No, and I'm I feel not like even that, talking about like going to the HR department. You just talk to your friend, you somebody right sitting right next to you. Like, yeah. Hey, did you look at that guy? He's like always coming and talking to me. I don't know. I'm feeling discomfort. Right. Then immediately the, their answer would be, I heard this many times, actually. Well, what are you doing to them? Yeah. What were you wearing? And see, but see, that's what I'm saying, Smith, where the conversation and the dialogue must change. Exactly. Socially around, I mean, the whole structure, the dialogue has to change because immediately people feel as though the woman has done something to warrant that type of attention. I mean, I might want, I, I like look at looking nice. I want to, I, I want to jazz myself up some, I might put on some, some more makeup more than just my lips and my eyes. And, you know, I might wear a, 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 a form fitting dress. Yep. Does that mean that you have the right to say something out of context to me? Does that mean that you have the right to rub up against me or say something slick out your mouth? No, that doesn't give you the right to you do that. And I, the same context. I for that. Yeah. You know? In the same context, actually, I have, my son is 20 years old now. And a couple of weeks back, we were talking about something and he, somehow he got this conversation and he was like, I don't understand why guys believe in this kind of a talk. And I'm like, what exactly that was? If a girl is posting their social media pictures with a bikini, for example, these guys think like these girls are asking for it. And he was like, can't a girl come and really ask for it if she wants to? Does she have to put her a picture with a bikini in the social media to ask for it? These guys don't even understand what a normal picture versus like asking for it. Mm. So yeah, when you're mentioning about that, that, that comes into my mind a lot. I don't understand if, if a dress means so much or like my makeup means so much. Why is it that? I mean, I can be myself in whatever the way that I wanted to project. Right. If you right. are wearing a shots, being a guy, that doesn't mean you are inviting somebody to rape you. Exactly. Exactly. That part. But you hear that so much. Like, what were you wearing? Oh, yeah. What did you do to provoke them? Yes. What do you mean, what did I do? I just walked by. He grabbed my ass. Yep. You, 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 I mean, so until the world changes how they view yep. domestic violence, how they view women, until the wo world changes on how they view us as the feminine part of this world, then these things will always be questionable. These things will always come to light. We will always have, even from women, until women starts to respect women. That is so, so true. That That is like a million percent uh, truth point that I have, I wanted to talk. That is so true. Like in workspace, you always, we were told in a, I mean, we'll always hear that in conversation saying like, oh, is your boss a lady? Okay, that's it, you're done. Why is that? Why a boss lady cannot lead you? I like, why? You, being a, I mean, if a guy is a boss, you are fine with the team. Right. But if, if the boss is like a lady, you will always have that stigma behind it saying, oh, you can't survive working for a lady boss. Because this is, how, this is, this is taught to us. Yeah. 
you know, it's, and it's always said, women are catty. They're catty with one another. You know, I, like I said, dialogue has to change. For being and, victims, I mean, I, 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 I have even heard some of the guys being victims. It is just not like the woman when you are mentioning the way to look at a woman has to change, but the way to look at the other person has to change. For has to change. Absolutely. It's not like whether it's a guy or a girl. If we can support other women first, start it with the person next to you, support them. If you Absolutely. don't like them, leave them alone. You don't have to support, you don't have to even badmouth about them coming out. You, you don't really need to do that. Just Absolutely. leave them to me. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. And and that, that, that for me too, that, that's also, the, that was a part of transformation for me. Mm. Uh, respecting, you know, my sisters and, and seeing the man as you're not better than me because you're a man. Because when I was in law enforcement, I always felt like they had a better lead than I was because th that I did because they were the man and I was the female and, and they respected the men more than they did me. But I had to change my way of thinking. Yeah. I, had to, I had to go into the situation saying, I'm respected as well. Mm. I'm a police woman. He's a policeman, but I'm a police woman. And I have you're gonna respect me as well. But I had to I had to look at myself differently. And it takes it takes time. Yep. You know, it takes time. And like I said, when I started my journey, that journey of healing, that transformation, you you something is uncovered every day. That's so I'm, I'm still healing. We, we still keep evolving every single day. Yes, I'm still evolving. Put it that way. I'm still evolving. I'm still evolving. I like that word, evolving. Yep. Every day. Yep. You know, it's 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 not it's not an overnight situation. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen. It might not happen in in a couple of years. Yep. You know, there is no time limit to a person's journey. Yep. And what I would say is my journey has become endless because I have endless work to do. Yep. Journey is never going to end. It's it's like, yeah, it's a journey. That's the reason. It, it's never going to end until you are resting. Exactly. And until I'm resting, my journey is forever. It's endless. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.